Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Welcome to Dunbar Law on 3CR 855am and also welcome to those listening via various podcast platforms or via streaming on 3cr.org.au. You're with Lizzie and Britt. It's just after 6pm on Tuesday the 5th of September 2023. However, this episode was pre-recorded on Friday the 1st of September 2023. We start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the original and rightful custodians of the land that 3CR broadcasts from. We pay our respects to elders past and present. We also acknowledge this land was stolen, never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. And so today's episode, um, we have Brit, and I'm just going to say hi to Brit. Hey, Lizzie. How are you going? Good. I just want to give a quick warning before you do our introduction introduction to our guest um, that we may be discussing topics such as family and domestic violence, sexual assault, mental health, ill health. Um, so if that is disturbing for any of our listeners, please come back at 6.30 when we have the Voices of West Papua um, and that won't be, that'll be half an hour from now. So on to you, Britt. Thanks, Lizzie. Now, the law is often perceived as an inflexible and rigid system and can quite often feel impenetrable for those without legal training. As many of our listeners will well know, achieving justice is about far more than solving a legal issue or getting legal advice. Quite often, individuals, especially those facing disadvantage, need overlapping support from both their lawyers and their healthcare providers. That's where health justice partnerships come in, and that's what we're talking about tonight. Now, these partnerships have been in existence for some time and aim to better equip both lawyers and healthcare providers to assist their respective clients and communities more effectively by reaching across the divide and working together. Health Justice Australia was formed in 2016 and work to support the health justice partnership movement across Australia. So tonight, to help us learn more about this excellent movement, we're lucky enough to be joined by Tessa Boyd-Kane, who's the CEO of Health Justice Australia. A very warm welcome to you, Tessa. Thanks. Hi, how are you? We're really well, and we're so pleased to have you on. So we'll get... We'll get started. We've got a lot to cover tonight. Um, Tessa, in practical terms, what is a health justice partnership and how do they work? 
Well, I love the way you introduced this topic just with that idea about what does justice look like in people's lives and really health justice partnership is a way of helping people with their legal problems. But its foundation is about services working together around those legal problems. So what it looks like in practice is that you might go to a health service, you might take your your bub to a child and maternal health service or you might be going to um, a community health service and as you're talking to the health staff, you might start talking about the mould in your housing that is, you think, the reason why your kid's got a cough or you can't shake the, um, the infection that seems to be spreading through the family. And what we want is to use that interaction to recognise that maybe actually there's a mould issue or something about the housing that needs to be fixed. And if you're living in a rental or a public housing situation, you can't fix that on your own. And actually there's a legal obligation by your landlords to fix that housing. So a health justice partnership is a collaboration between health, legal and other services that helps those services work together around these kinds of intersecting problems, your respiratory issues, your your infection in a family is a health problem, but if the underlying driver of that problem has a legal solution, then we need those health and legal services to work together. I guess one of the really important things to know about a health justice partnership is that it's not a single way of working. What it looks like in a regional community or working with Aboriginal community controlled services might be very different to what it looks like at the women's in Melbourne or some of our other capital city based health services. And that's a real strength of the approach because what we're trying to do is help services in a particular community work better together around the needs of that community and we know communities differ and so service responses need to be flexible enough to respond to those differences as well and we see that as a real hallmark of what health justice partnership is able to do. So so how did the idea like uh, we can start to get an idea of the different issues that are coming about through a health setting that have been identified, but how did it first all start and how did the idea come about and it originate? Was it the health services that were identifying, hang on, there's some legal issues that might be able to be addressed here or was it the legal services that saw that there was need? Where did that all start? Yeah, it's a really beautiful example of uh, community service-led innovation. And in the Australian context, actually, the innovation was driven very much by the legal assistance sector and, you know, particularly by community legal centres in Victoria, in fact. The origin story is really strong in terms of community legal service practitioners who were looking at evidence about unmet legal need and they saw the kind of the, the evidence that was telling them about the levels of unmet legal need where people often don't even know that the problem that they're grappling with has a legal solution. People often don't think about legal services as there to help them. They often don't know what legal services look like and they don't necessarily have trust in legal services. Yeah. But they do have trust with other parts of the service system. So what we were starting to see in the evidence, and this is from about 2012, particularly with the evidence around um, unmet legal need across Australia, we were seeing this picture that said to lawyers, no matter how busy our legal assistance services are, there's a whole lot of people that legal assistance is trying to reach who are never going to walk through our doors. 
but who are going to be raising their legal problems in other settings of trust. Now, in people's lives, your trust might be with your family or your colleagues or your neighbours, but in the service system, we know that people have high trust with their health services. So it was legal practitioners, as I say, particularly in Victoria, who started to explore this idea about what if we bring legal help into those health and other settings of trust. So that's really the evolution of the work in the Australian context. There was some research done. There was some uh, funding for pilots, um, first by um, legal uh, law firm foundations and then by public service legal funding. And then legal practitioners started sharing the lessons of what they were doing with their colleagues around the country. And fast forward 10 years, we've now got a national network of over 100 collaborations, health justice partnerships around the country. But I just want to pause and pick up your question about who drove it. In the Australian context, it was the community legal sector that drove it. But what's really important to recognise is that we've learned a lot from our colleagues in the United States. And so in the United States, this model's been working really since the late 80s, early 90s. And there it was emergency department doctors, particularly working with kids, so particularly in paediatrics, who saw that there was a whole lot of preventable hospital admission coming from communities with poor quality housing. And so right. if they if they wanted to get those hospital admissions that were not necessary, if they wanted to get those under control, they needed to work with community around the quality of housing. And the way to do that was to start building partnerships with legal assistance. So you've actually got two sides of the health and the justice in these partnerships. And I think, you know, really important to recognise we've learned a lot and we've really been able to piggyback on the lessons of that pioneering work in the United States. And then it's been the legal assistance sector and increasingly their health colleagues who've really adapted that model to the Australian context in terms of what kinds of problems have multiple intersecting health legal need and also what kinds of services might partner well in response to those problems. Wow, that's a great origin story. Love to hear that. How does it work really in practice? Is it, um, I suppose there's no one size fits all, but is it generally lawyers going off to health services and hospitals or um, does it take a different shape in practice? Yeah, let's let's look at a couple of different examples and then things have changed, particularly through the pandemic. So it's also important to recognise that. So prior to the pandemic, the model that was um, really evolving was the idea about embedding legal help in healthcare teams and settings. So, you know, many of the metropolitan hospitals in Melbourne have legal assistance available. And I guess important to understand what we mean by embedding or now often the language is integrating. So we're not just talking about a health, a health practitioner giving you a phone number that you might call. It's not just a referral pathway. And that's really important because we know for people with complex problems, with multiple and intersecting problems at the same time, often a phone number to call is just another problem to solve. But that idea about the, the collaboration that sits underneath these partnerships is that embedding of legal help in the healthcare setting. So you might be going to, let's say, um, you might be going to your community health service for your child and maternal health appointments. And that's where Often people are talking about what else is going on, your on in your life. So the health team that you're talking to might be wanting to know, you know, how's your family relationships? How's your relationship with your partner? How's your employment? They might be probing some of those broader factors in people's lives that have a real impact in health. And that's the opportunity for them to start to understand whether there might be legal issues going on. 
But in order for health practitioners to be able to probe those kinds of legal problems, they need to know what legal problems look like and they need to have a better understanding about legal assistance as a solution to those problems. So one of the really important things about what health justice partnership looks like is the work between legal and health and other practitioners. So a lot of the work of lawyers might be what what lawyers might think of as community legal education, but it's targeting practitioners and professionals in other services who are often the first touch point in someone's life. So that's one way that health justice partnership works. We see really important work in building the education of health and other practitioners about legal need. And then obviously there's an opportunity for lawyers to see potential clients or to see people with legal problems in a health setting. So you might have a lawyer there a set number of hours a week or available by appointment or they might be joining case conferencing or team meetings with the health staff. So there's lots of different ways that lawyers are becoming part of the health teams in these health settings. And then the other thing that we've been tracking through our research is that this isn't only happening in healthcare. And so there's a whole lot of services that are highly trusted touch points in people's lives that are also opportunities for lawyers to become embedded. So we've seen health justice partnerships evolving evolving in child and family services. We've seen them evolving in mental health services. So we're starting to think about health justice partnership, not just only as a partnership between legal help and health care, but as a partnership that can support health and wellbeing outcomes. And to think about health justice partnership as a model that takes legal assistance beyond justice settings into the very many service settings where people might have trust and might be talking about the problems in their lives that have legal solutions. Fantastic and so fascinating. Um, I think we just need to take a quick break. Uh, You're listening to Done By Law. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly after a couple of community announcements. Since opening its stores in 1987, Ross House has become an important part of the fabric of Melbourne. The organisations operating from Ross House form an eclectic patchwork of multicultural groups, self-help groups and small community organisations committed to social justice and environmental sustainability. Organisations such as the International Women's Development Agency, Human Rights Arts and Film Festival and the Wilderness Society have all called Ross House home. To find out more, please visit rosshouse.org.au. Ross House is a 3CR supporter. Three CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. Three CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers, and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at Three CR. To find out more, go to three cr.org.au and get in touch. listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Welcome back. You're listening to Done by Law on 3CR Community Radio. We're here with Tessa Boyd-Kane from Health Justice Australia and we're talking about health justice partnership. 
Tessa, before the break, you mentioned that the pandemic has changed some things in this space. So how has it changed uh, this this area and what impact has the pandemic had? Mm. Look, I think I think the story about the pandemic and its impact on health justice partnership is a bit like the story in people's lives. There have been some really difficult impacts, there have been some really hard knocks, and there have also been some opportunities that we hadn't seen before. So let's start with what's been challenging. You know, we were working up to 2020, we were building the evidence about this way of working, and we were seeing this idea of embedded as really core, and that meant legal staff were on site in health and other service settings. They were available to see patients. They were available to meet health staff in person. And, of course, with the onset of the pandemic and lockdown, that availability just ended almost overnight. So, you know, in Victoria, we saw that not only were legal services often now blocked from accessing the healthcare services that they might have been building partnerships with, but those health services were pivoting very rapidly. Some of them were closing to alleviate burden on the health system. Some of them were pivoting to become vaccination centres or to mm. play, play a different role in the pandemic. So the real the foundations of these partnerships were really rocked through the pandemic. At the same time, the range and the severity of the multiple intersecting health, legal and social problems in people's lives magnified. You know, we saw suddenly people facing employment stress, particularly if they were in casual or shift or insecure work. We saw the quality of people's housing becoming a real factor, not only when people were locked in their housing, but also in terms of our ability to spread, um, to control the spread of infection. You know, if you've mm. got overcrowded got overcrowding if you've got poor ventilation your housing can become a real risk when you're talking about a virus like COVID-19 so we saw a real challenge to continuing the work of health justice partnerships at the same time as the need for them was heightened those were the challenges but the opportunities were also real so while staff weren't necessarily available on site and in person the move to remote working and particularly to online working created a whole lot of new opportunities. So one of the challenges often for staff working in a health justice partnership is building the relationship with their colleagues in a new environment with a new language. But as things like team meetings moved online, we found that lawyers were able to join the health staff team meetings and continue to build those relationships in a was often much harder when they were on site and, and seeing patients. Um, we also saw that opportunity to share the lessons and to um, pick up referrals and to pick up contact across regional areas because so much more work moved online and didn't expect people to be in person and so didn't put in place those barriers around access in terms of transport and distance. Um, and then we've also seen you know, some real orthodoxies challenged. So one of the examples that I love from the legal assistance sector through the pandemic was that a drop-in service had to move to a phone service and the, the number of people contacting them went through the roof. Mm. And the assumptions of the practitioners in the service had been that a phone line was old school and nobody would be using it. And actually that was exactly what people needed at that point in time. So just when we think about innovation, it's not always shiny and new. Sometimes yeah. it's just remembering to use the range of resources and tools and approaches that we've got at our fingertips and, and trying something different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
that uh, that reminds me very much of um, a service that I used to work at, Tessa, um, which was a homelessness service. And and one of the ways of um, interacting with people and getting them to come in to talk about different issues was by providing sandwiches for people who were on the street. And and that particular service also did have a health justice partnership. I um have to say, with the drop-in community legal service, which was a fantastic um, uh, addition. And um, I suppose just uh, like moving aside a bit from something like the uh, pandemic that we've just been through, another um, area that I imagine uh, would be interesting to talk about in in this uh, with health justice partnerships would be if extreme weather events have um, had a uh, impact on the need for increase of services and you know where we've had bushfires and we've had floods and all those kind of things can you talk a bit about that and um what yeah what impact that's had on communities yeah thanks and of course you know for so many people across australia including in victoria the impact of the pandemic came right hot on the heels of shocking extreme weather events I guess, you know, the the common denominator in extreme weather events is the impact of that kind of crisis in in a in a external sense, you know, a crisis in a community, whether it's bushfire or flooding, and what that catalyzes in people's lives. And so suddenly, you a whole lot of people are faced with the same context in terms of that extreme weather event that can just um, really build momentum in terms of problems in their lives that they might have just been holding together and that suddenly tip over. So we know extreme with extreme weather events have real factors real impact on people's housing security. People lose their houses or their houses become uninhabitable. And in a context where we don't have enough affordable housing stock, where rents and availability are are at crisis point, those kinds of events have a real impact in terms of people's housing security. So that's one really clear example of an intersecting health and legal issue. We also know, you know, particularly in the context of bushfires, respiratory problems became really significant. And so, again, you might be coming into contact first and foremost with a health service, but, you know, at the same time you're dealing with the stress and anxiety around lost income or navigating insurance or navigating employers who need you back at work when you're trying to keep your family together and you're trying to find a place to live. So all examples of the kinds of multiple intersecting health, legal and other problems that really come to the fore off the back of extreme weather events and for which this idea about services working together is a really good fit. I guess the other thing that we've seen, particularly over the extreme weather events of the past couple of years in Australia, is where, of course, first and foremost, we're thinking about the needs of clients or patients who are accessing services. But the workforce is a really important factor here too. And so, you know, often for extreme weather events, the workers of these services are themselves experiencing those those effects. Uh, often the frontline response in a community that they live in may well be fighting fires while their own houses are coming under threat, may well be supporting people navigating insurance or dealing with, um, you know, housing or employment issues when they're facing that themselves in their own lives. So I think the other thing to recognise here is that, you know, extreme weather events, pandemics, uh, financial crisis or financial distress, these 
big external factors have very direct impacts in people's lives. And one of the things that we're thinking about in the work of Health Justice Partnership is how those impacts affect practitioners because practitioner wellbeing is really critical as an outcome in itself. And we've seen, you know, the stress and the anxiety really affecting practitioners through extreme weather events and also through the pandemic. So, so that wellbeing is an outcome in itself, but it's also really hard for services to do right by the communities they help if their own staff are struggling. And so it becomes really important for outcomes that we're thinking about our workforce and we're keeping them well and we're looking after them, even as we're finding new ways of services to work together around community need. That's such an important point to be made. I'm glad Absolutely. that you brought that up. How are we going for time, Britt? We are almost there. I think we've probably just got time for one more question. Tessa, I'd be really interested to hear from you, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but what do you see as the, the next new opportunities in this space and, and going forward in the future? What do you hope to see happen? I, I really acknowledge the leadership of the legal assistance sector in the Australian context and of the community legal assistance sector particularly in creating this opportunity, in recognising that there were all sorts of people who were not going to walk through their doors and, and driving the innovation to work differently. I think the next real challenge and opportunity for us is to move beyond the framing of legal assistance only in terms of justice outcomes. So, you know, I'm a social justice advocate. When I think about justice, I think about problems solved. I think about um, social justice as much as legal or criminal justice. But what we're seeing in the service environments that we're working with in health and social and community services, we're seeing that that language of justice actually doesn't have meaning. And so there's a really important role here in translating what we're doing through legal assistance so that we start to think about the value of legal help for health, for wellbeing. And I mean, I think that the example of mould in public housing is such a great example because it comes up all the time in this work, but it yeah. also is a bridge it's a bridge where you can take a legal approach and suddenly health services can see their role in that. They understand that example. So I think the next stage for us is to um, build on the really strong foundations that have been laid around access to justice and start to find ways to connect with the really important work happening around health equity, the thinking around social determinants, the range of structural factors that make a difference to people's health and well-being the space to think about institutional discrimination, whether that's racism in the health system or, you know, the many other ways that our systems that are there to help people often put barriers in the place of that help and to think about health justice approaches as a way to bring a range of perspectives and to utilise a range of service responses, a range of different tools in the service of better health, justice and wellbeing outcomes in people's lives. Wow. What a... What an amazing space. And I think that's a that's a, a lovely place to end our conversation, even though I think we could probably talk about this for a, a lot longer. Um, but I think that's been really informative. Um, yeah, before it's been we do so, I do want to shout out um, to just an upcoming event in this space. Uh, Health Justice Australia is running a conference on the 23rd and 24th of November uh, in Melbourne. And people interested in attending uh, can register. Uh, by either just Googling the Health Justice Conference 2023 uh, or email healthjustice at healthjustice.com.au for registration details. Uh, so Great, can I in and correct that email? Oh, please it's, do, yes. Get in touch with us if you want to hear about the conference and our email is actually 
healthjustice at healthjustice.org.au. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Of course it is. (laughs) Thanks so much. (laughs) Well, Tessa, thank you so much for your time. It's just been brilliant hearing from you uh, and perhaps we'll uh, we'll get you on in a little while to hear about the developments in in this space because I I know I would like to hear a bit more. We'd love that. Fantastic. Good to see you again, Lizzie. We'll talk soon. Yes, thank you again, Tessa. It's been great listening and having you on Done By Law. And listeners, you've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR, 8.55am, streamed at 3cr.org.au and available on various podcast platforms. Done By Law will be back again next Tuesday at 6pm. But for now, stay tuned for the Voices of West Papua. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.